Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on social media, primarily Facebook and YouTube. Uh, you can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Justin Fatika, and who is very popular in Catholic circles. But just in case you don't know who he is, I want to give Justin a brief introduction to our audience. Justin Fatika is the founder of Hard as Nails Ministries, which he founded in 2002. He's been a, a, an itinerant speaker for 20 years, speaking in four countries and 46 states. He's a graduate of Seton Hall University, yay, uh, with a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy and Elementary Education and a Master of Arts in Education. He's been featured on numerous media outlets such as Good Morning America, ABC Nightline, TBN, EWTN, and was the subject of an HBO film called Hard as Nails, as well as 10 episode television series on EWTN called You're Amazing with Justin Fatika, which focuses on the impact that he has made while traveling on the road. He's also the author of five books, including two bestsellers, Hard as Nails, A Mission to Awaken Youth to the Power of God's Love, and Win It All, The Way to Heaven for Catholic Teens. He resides in Syracuse, New York, with his five children and his beautiful wife, Mary Elizabeth Fatika. Justin Fatika, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Well, Joe and Joe, first of all, being Italian is why I'm on the show. There's only two nationalities, Italians and those who want to be. You know, like, I love so it. <laughs> I've been trying to tell people that for years, but nobody wants to listen to me. <laughs> Everything, their food is better. They're lying because they feel bad for their mother that she's never been taught how to cook Italian food. I have homemade raviolis for Thanksgiving, for Easter, for uh, Christmas. We still make the homemade sauce. And let me tell you something. There's something about the culture right now where we need to get back to the basics. And I know you know about that. Bishop Frank, you know my good friend Bishop Frank as well. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you the two things that are going to straighten out America, God and Italian foods. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, but. Oh, please. No, no, but we just got, like I was saying, we got to get back to uh, basics. Family life is what you're saying, Joe. We've got to get back to the mother, the father. We got to get back to the real stuff, the real stuff that cuts between all the surface garbage and really be able to impact people's lives. Well, I'm glad you said that about surface garbage because that's one of the things that Joe and I like to do both on our interview show and on our social media is cut through the surface, the surface BS, okay, and get back to fundamentals. And that's why we're so very happy to have you on the show because we know that that's what you're trying to do and succeeding in doing particularly with the youth. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, and we'll get rocking and rolling. 
Justin, we always start with a prayer because all good things start with a prayer, and this is a good thing. In, In the, the name, name of the, the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Spirit amen. amen. Remember, our most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. St. Dominic, pray for us. Pray for us. Justin, I think a good place to start is, is in 1997. You were a young man sitting on St. Peter's Cathedral in Erie, PA, and you experienced a very profound, uh, like, personal, like, almost like contact with God from what I read. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, there's two parts to the story. Uh, the first part is my conversion. You know, a lot of kids, they go on these retreats. They, they have an impact. As I get older, I've been doing, you know, event-based ministry for over 20 years. I can tell you that the conversion that God, when he came to me, I can't take credit for. I know a lot of people will say that, but, like, I, as I get older, like, really God, like, took my heart. My stony heart, as the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he'll take your stony heart and give you your natural heart. And he, he basically took my heart and said, look, you're going to live for me. And he did that through, I had a priest, some of you might know who he is. He was my teacher. His name was Father Larry Richards. I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Father Richards, yeah. He's another, you know, prominent speaker, uh, travels, evangelist, what have you. But he was my religious teacher. I hated the guy's guts. You, <laughs> there's things you don't do. You don't tell an Italian grandmother what to do. That's number Because <laughs> you know she's right even if she's wrong. She's so right in the wrongness, right? So that's number one. Number two, you don't tell her grandson anything because he's going to go tell her, and then she's going to go bust you up. So <laughs> I never was told. I was always, like, in the right because my Italian family really protected me. I had good people around me. And so even when I did wrong, I could get away with it. I remember getting in trouble. I'd get away. You know, a lot of people get away with a lot of horrible things. That's where I was headed. I have an uncle, Uncle Werpy Lombardo. I didn't know his first name was Carl until I was like 22. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, where'd you get your name, Uncle? He's like, oh, it's a long story. He said, I used to have him call me Werpy because when I was in trouble, I'd put Werpy in the paper so I wouldn't disappoint my mother. I'm like, wow, you must have been through some tough stuff there, Uncle. And so anyways, the bottom line is I had this priest and he challenged me. He was calling me all the list of names. One day he jacks me up on a wall like this, like puts me on the wall back in the day when they used to really bring it. And he said, he spoke in tongues that day. Cause he was like, you're a beep beep. You're a beep beep. And then I yell at him like, you're a jerk. He's like, that's more detention for you. And we hated each other. And I ended up going through a tough time where, you know, I ended up getting moved off the basketball team. I love basketball. I ended up struggling in school, getting 820 on my CTs, struggling just personally in my life, thinking I got a girl pregnant. And this priest was asking people to go on a retreat. Now, the only reason I said yes to go on the retreat is because during Christmas time, he would write letters to his students. I suggest anybody listening right now to write a letter to the biggest jerk in your life. Whoever's the biggest jerk you know, because that's what I was. I was a jerk to this priest. I, I didn't have a heart. I wasn't sensitive to sin and suffering. And this priest wrote me a letter, and this is what it said. It said, I don't like you. 
which was true. <laughs> don't like me. I'm like, I don't this guy's real. But inside, I struggled with him. He says, but I pray for you by name every single day. He said, I pray you realize your potential in Christ. You have a gift of leadership. Love, Father Larry Richards. I got that letter. I pretended like it did nothing. I'll tell you what, that letter hit me. I'm thinking I got this girl pregnant, 820 MICTs, pushed off the basketball. Everything I thought was worthwhile, I, I'm losing. My family started mistrusting me. And I said, Father, I'll go on this retreat. I go on this weekend retreat. And right there, I'm at Eucharistic adoration. If you've ever been to adoration and really pray and look at Jesus in adoration and really believe that that's Jesus. As a young boy, 17, I believed that day that was, that was Jesus Christ. I looked at the Eucharist and I hear on my heart and I said a prayer. I said, Jesus, the selfish prayer. I said, if you get me through this, I'll give you everything. That was my first prayer. And I meant it because my dad taught me as a kid, when you, when you do something, you meet it. If you're going to be a jerk, it may be a jerk. If you're going to do the right thing, that's what our family spelled. Do the, but don't be, don't be a fake. If you say something, fall through on it. He taught me to be a man of virtue. The second prayer I prayed, I looked up at the cross, the crucifixes in adoration. And I looked at it and I, I felt on my heart that he died for me. I said, you died for me? I'll die for you. And only like a 17-year-old boy could mean it. I said it. Sincere. And the third prayer I prayed was this. Jesus, and I said it out loud. I never prayed a prayer out loud in my entire life until that day at adoration. I said, Jesus, we're going to change the world. And I meant it. All of a sudden, I look around me. People were sleeping during prayer. All of a sudden, they're up. It was that day I gave my life to God. The next week, I go to school. And you know what? I start praying in that cathedral you were talking about, Joe. I started praying, taking my lunch periods and praying on my own. But I, I woke up early to go to daily mass because I knew I couldn't stay strong in my faith without prayer. Now, why I say it was God? What kid goes on a retreat and the day after goes to daily mass every single day after that? I did. I don't know what it was. It was God. I go to daily mass, right? And it's me and two other yo-yos. I was like, look, God, first things first. If I'm going to follow you, there are going to be people in this church. I can't do this. And these two yo-yos, they're just not nothing to be rude. But at that time, I was still a little surface Catholic. I was like, these guys are dorks. I need to pack this church with some real people here. I'm 17 years old. I go into the hallway the next day, and I just start dragging people in the church. By Friday, we got like 10, 15 kids at Mass. Father Larry Richards looks at me and goes, how the heck did you get them here? I go, Father, the same way you got me here. I jacked them up. Now, a lot of people don't like me telling the story real, but this is my conversion. This is what happened. And I prayed in that cathedral that I would do whatever I could for God. And have I done it perfectly? Heck no. I failed miserably. But so did Peter. Peter failed. So, so yeah. And so did, so did Bartholomew. And, and so did Paul. Paul didn't do it perfectly, but he did it. And we got to get rid of this, like, judging everybody for how we're bringing the gospel we've got to stop like picking on each other mess with each other and joe and joe thank you for what you're doing 
Thank you for what anyone's doing for Jesus Christ in our Roman Catholic faith. And we need to get busy. And I need to always remember how I brought the faith. Because when I was younger, it wasn't as like, you know, polished, or it wasn't as like, I know I'm so polished now, can't you tell? But, you know, <laughs> but like, as I get older, that was the real thing. And I have to continue to, to go back to that moment. So never lose this book of Revelations. Never lose the love you had at first for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so that's my uh, six-minute conversion story. I love it. I love it. We just interviewed John Pridmore, and it's interesting how God calls people. I mean, Joe and I have interesting stories as well. I mean, we weren't, you know, going to church uh, in high school and college and how God chooses, you know, ca like characters. I mean, in, in all yeah. honesty, and those are the people I think that are most effective. Like you said, don't judge people. People shouldn't judge people just because you're not walking around like at the age of 16 with rosary beads in your pocket. Those are the kids. A brother told me I went to a Christian brothers high school, but actually you worked at, I went to queen of peace. I graduated. Oh, I worked there for years. Yeah, so I mean, like, I can remember, those, those are the kids that don't go back. It's many times the kids that are in detention all the time that are wind up coming back and doing something because it's radical, radical change. And I can relate to what you're talking about. If you're going to do something, do it right. And, 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 and I'm glad you mentioned that about, about perfection. If we all waited to be perfect to bring the message of the gospel out there, well, guess what? We're going to die without bringing the gospel out there, okay? What if you, you quoted scripture? What did Paul say? We hold this treasure in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessels. We're crackable. We're breakable. We're fragile, okay? But that's why we cling to Christ. And the other point I'm glad you made is this. I don't expect you, Justin Fatika, to be like Joe and Joe, and you don't expect us to be like you. And I'm not like, uh, we're not like some others out there. But even again, going back to St. Paul, everybody's got their thing. Not everybody could be a preacher. Not everybody could be this. Not everybody could that. But underlying it all, the message is always the same. The necessity for Jesus Christ and his church. And that's the important part. And I want to get to that in this next question. While you were at Seton Hall, you started a program, the, the uh, 12 Apostles program, where you were trying to, because again, this is an important thing to talk about because we don't need to talk about the state of universities in America let's say, whether secular or not, okay, they're a mess. But you started a program, the 12 Apostles program, to try to evangelize um, fellow students to, to, get, to, to get that connection with Jesus Christ. Talk to our audience about that a little bit, Justin Fatika. Yeah, I went to school, and, like, I, I was going to daily mass still. But, like, when I got excited about Jesus, and I'm just keeping it, you know, real here, like, the Catholics weren't, at that time, they weren't excited about how I was bringing the gospel. Like, so I'd go, like, I was involved with campus ministry, but, like, there wasn't a way to evangelize. That was like a, like, this is a newer, back when I went to college, like, right now we've got all these little ministries running around. That wasn't the case back then. So, like, me trying to get people to accept Christ, to, to know their Bible, to know that, where confession is in the Bible, to where uh, Mary is in the Bible, to, to where the Eucharist is in the Bible. Like, all of a sudden, all these evangelicals, athletes, like leaders, even kids that weren't going to, to church who are Catholic, were saying, I'm connecting with you. I didn't mean for it to be 12 Apostles program. It, it, it bore out of that. We just started praying together. And every week we'd get together and pray. And it just kept growing. 
every week we'd have 10, 20, 30 kids. We'd be in the, the beautiful uh, chapel there praying until 11 o'clock at night. And from that, miracles were happening. I have a girl who was the all-star softball player who's still living her faith. I got another guy who was the all-star track runner, um, was second in the Big East in track, and he's still living his faith, bringing his kids to church, helping them grow in the faith. Brian Greenfield, who's one of the uh, most prominent African-American speakers in the country right now, was in that little group at 12 Apostles. Now he's speaking all over the country, right? Bringing the gospel at all the Steubenville conferences. And I even met a, a young girl there who, when I met her, basically she had freckles. She was crying. I'm like, what are you crying about? She goes, I'm homesick. I go, you need Jesus in your life. And you wouldn't cry. <laughs> I love it. And, and so she goes, she looks at me, you need to get out of my room. And now we're married. So, you know, <laughs> so like I met my wife there. Right. And really, the fruit that grew out of that 12 apostles was what bore, it was kind of like, kind of the lessons I learned through that is how this ministry has grown. And all the priests that just were, were good to me, I can name 10 of them right now. Like they were so good to me there. And the president of the university supported me and was just walked with me, even though I was making mistakes in ministry. And I think that's important. We need to like walk with people. I believe that every Catholic in America needs three people in their life. We need a Paul, like a Father Larry Richards, somebody that can challenge us. Somebody can say, hey, it's not about you, fatigue, it's about Christ. Somebody that can challenge you, you can say, you need a prayer life. Number two, we need a Barnabas a son of encouragement. We need somebody like my mother, who if I killed somebody, pray for her soul, but if I did, she'd be like, he did it the best way. I mean, you know, like somebody, <laughs> somebody that even in our faults sees goodness, sees greatness, sees sees that they're the essence of who we are is good regardless of the shame and guilt we might have. And then lastly, we needed Timothy, somebody that we're taking what Paul has taught us and what Barnabas has taught us and walking with them in the faith. And that's what I did there. I had priests and leaders who walked with me. I had people that were my peers that, that would be there. And then as I grew at Seton Hall, look, there were younger uh, freshmen and sophomores who would walk with us and we would lead towards Christ. And so it was beautiful. I, I just love that time. Excellent. And you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, and we are way, way, way in the breach with Justin Fatika. And we're talking about his incredible ministry. Um, he's the founder of Hard as Nails Ministries, and he's just doing a phenomenal job. Literally, not I, I don't like using the word literally, literally reaching millions of people, millions, to bring the, 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 the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ out to the world, particularly the youth. I read this on your website, Justin. I thought it was very interesting from Father Gerald Manley uh, Hopkins. And this is what he said. He said, seeing Christ's body nailed, consider the attachment of his will to God's will, to be bound to God's will in all things. In the attachment of your mind and attention to prayer and duty in hand, the attachment of your affections to Christ our Lord. What caught my eye with that is this. I mean, clearly, you're unorthodox. We kind of are too. If you listen to our social media, we definitely are. But I like the fact that you're talking about God's will. That implies obedience. 
You see, I am a firm believer in this because I've tried things my way and my way doesn't work. You have to be connected to the vine. We're just a branch. Talk about that. That really struck me. And I love the language nailed to his will. Please, please expand on that. Yeah, well, number one, anybody who's listening right now, you need somebody directing you in your faith. Like, number one, God the Father directing me, me like spending time with our Lord like daily. Like, I was up early this morning, you know, 5.45. I'm, I'm getting up. I'm spending an hour in prayer. I have to. I have to spend, say, Lord, fill me. Have the Father fill me so I may love people like you love. But number two, I've had a spiritual director since I was 17. Like somebody that I've met with every two weeks, every month, guaranteed. I was just, I have a lot of decisions to make right now. We need people directing us. We have a, a bishop's advisory council. We have three bishops that oversee us, Bishop Frank, Bishop Lucia in my home diocese, and then Bishop Scharfenberger from the Albany diocese. Being Catholic gives you that rooted strong. I know everybody picks on the Catholic. Let me tell you something about picking on the Catholics. You want to pick on somebody, right? Don't be picking on the Catholics. We were martyred, burned. We were we were destroyed. We were built. Yeah, we'll get a little soft, right? Catholics are soft. They're losing that, what you're talking about, staying with the vine. We're losing that uh, grit and that fervor that the saints had. We're going to get it back, Joe and Joe. I'm telling you, don't get discouraged. We're going to get it back. I promise you, through you guys, through us, through other people. But remember what the saints went through. That's what that father's saying. Remember that they cling to rejection. They clinged to persecution. Persecution equals perseverance. Rejection equals redemption. You see, the problem with our Catholics right now is they're complaining about everybody. I want to know one saint that was complaining about all the Catholics. No, they were taking their scars and their wounds like a man. They were getting beat up saying, for the glory of God, I will boast of how I've gotten beat up. And that's what that, that read. The will of God is rejection and persecution. That, I hate it. Look, I was not made, like my nature, the way God made me, when I get persecuted, it hurts like, you know what? I cry, I got tears. I was with my son last night. I got a 15-foot cross at my house. And me and him walked to the cross. And he said, Dad, it's hard to live for God. And I just started crying. And I looked at my son, I said, son, I'm not going to tell you, uh, uh, be a liar to you. It is hard to live for God. But the will of God is that there's pain and suffering, but we believe there's joy to come. There's redemption to come. There's perseverance to come. And we can't stick in our feelings and we can't stick in our mind. We got to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it, Justin. No, no cross, no crown. I mean, I mean, I heard that even before I came back to the church. That's one of the things that resonated with me. No cross, no crown. That's life. You know, that, that, my mother always says with her Italian accent, hey, that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. No cross, no. If you want that crown of glory, you have to be your cross. Who's saying that? Joe, Joe, or Justin? No, Jesus Christ said that. If you want to be my disciple and follow me, you have to carry your cross. A couple other virtues that you guys focus on is authenticity and courage. Let's talk about that because clearly you're authentic. And I think people sense that. You see, that you talked about going back to when you were 17. You know, a, a young 
guy is authentic, whether he's doing bad or doing good. He means it. You know what I mean? And people sense that. Let's talk about that, those two, two virtues. First, authenticity, and then courage. Well, uh, authenticity is tough to talk about there, guys. And I'm going to talk about it, but it's very hard. You see, when I gave my life to Christ when I was young, it was about like conversion. I want others to have a conversion. I only had like a hammer. I just hammer them with the gospel and then hopefully they convert. But as I got a little bit older, I started meeting kids, especially. And picture you're a 26, 27 year old young man. You have your first kid on the way and you got 50 kids at an event coming to you, telling you they want to end their lives at one event and then you go to the next event it's a hundred and i didn't know what to do i'm just like hey what if you're going through anything i'll be here at the table come talk to me and then i started hearing about kids being molested and raped i never like not to be whatever like i grew up like doing tough things getting a fight here or there but i never met anybody that told me they were molested or raped no i, I hear you so I'm sitting there hearing these kids be authentic with me. Then I'm hearing about they don't have a dad. Now I mean, like, half of my crowd, like, picture you're, like, preaching. Now these kids, I'm being authentic, so they're being authentic. That's how kids are. And I'm like, how many of you don't have a dad in your life? You don't have a relationship. And all of a sudden, over 50% of the crowd's raising their hand. And I'm going into my hotel room, right, at 26, 27. I'm, no, I'm crying. I'm like. We got to do something. I didn't know what to do. And this is where hard as nails. That's why the name hard as nails. It's so difficult to say. Because it's difficult to say because it's difficult to realize that the hardest thing to do in life is to hear a poor soul who's been wounded and to say you're called by God, as I'm sure you've been through in your life as you're in ministry, that you're called to help them to come to a God that's been wounded with them and for them. And I can tell you that like being authentic in your own life and asking others to do that is one of the most difficult things. But this is what our call of our ministry is, to help people be okay. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. It is the antithesis of the formation of our church within the past 200 years. Authenticity is the opposite of how we've been formed. So now I'm calling out, be authentic. And people are doing that. Now, are we doing the most perfect way? You can always complain about who's being authentic perfectly or imperfectly. But the point is we're doing our best. I didn't realize how hard, guys, it would be to live out that virtue. But that's what's gotten me crushed. But let me tell you something. The greatest honor of my life has been that I can look my children in the eyes, that I can look our missionaries, young people who give up a year or two or serve our mission, our posture, that I can look at a bishop. I was just at a meeting with a bishop a week ago, right? And he was struggling. And all of a sudden I looked, I said, pick your head up, Bishop. And he picked his head up and I had tears running down my eyes. And I said, I'm sorry. Because I understood that when you're authentic, it hurts. But that hurt and that pain, as Jesus taught us, was to bring victory for someone else. I say, I always tell our missionaries, look. You're not called to be authentic for yourselves to be a victim. 
You're called to be authentic for something and for someone. Jesus' moment on that cross was the most authentic moment, naked, vulnerable, beaten, bruised, crushed for our iniquities. But guess what? It's what connected him to humanity. In closing, it's one of my Jewish friends who said, I want a crucifix. Why? Why do you want a crucifix? You're Jewish. He said, because guess what? I want to follow a guy who does that. You know, it's funny because you said something. When you're authentic, you're naked. You see, I think that's what keeps, we wear masks in society. And when we're, and as we get older, we wear more masks. You know, sometimes like I'll listen to our show and we kind of lay it out there. And sometimes it's difficult to even hear my own voice because you're laying yourself bare. But that's what people respond to. We have to, which leads to the next virtue is courage. Men, particularly Catholic men, we must get out of the boat. When we get out of the boat, Jesus shows himself. That's where the Holy Spirit works. It doesn't work in the lazy boy chair. Talk a little bit about that. Justin, before we get into that, yeah, let's take a quick break, all right, because it's important, because one of the things that Joe and I constantly hammer home is... They might need a breather right now. (laughs) (laughs) But the need for courage, that's what we're going to talk about. When we come back from the other side of the break, we're going to talk about your ministry more in depth, uh, Hard as Nails Ministry. For all of those listening, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, way in the breach with Justin Fatika, who is the founder of Hard as Nails Ministries. Uh, Please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff, and make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And our station is on 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Stick around for a couple minutes. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, and we are way in the breach with Justin Fatika, the founder of Hard as Nails Ministries, and let's get right into the red meat. Justin, we were talking about virtues on the other side of the break. Talk about courage, about the need to get out of the boat. Clearly, you got out of the boat, um, especially for Catholic men. Catholic men, listen, our times call for it. We need men of courage. Talk about that a little bit, Justin. Yeah, and I want to talk to parents out there, uh, especially the men. When, when one of my kids was eight years old, he came to me, he said, Dad, I'm getting picked up. And uh, he started to cry. And, uh, and, uh, I had a choice as a young dad to like, it was like one of my first moments I had to kind of like join in with them. See, we think courage is just about like saying I'm pro-life. Look, I'm pro-life. I got five kids. I'll have three more. I'm excited for it. I want to, you know, I didn't save sex for nothing. I'm using it up. All right. God bless you. Be fruitful. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And I'm pro-life. I'll stand on the corner and I'll get beat up. And I'm all about that. And I'm all about like standing up for you know 
like rescuing people suffering. And, and I've had literally had knives to my throat for the gospel. You want to talk about courage? Like people threatened to kill me, young people, because they didn't trust me. They were nervous. Knife right here. And I said, I love you. I believe in you. And that's what I said there. And it was a miracle. And the cops took him away and, you know, pulled him aside and said, you know, we're going to have to take him into jail. He assaulted your weapon charges. I go, officer, I know the kid. He's a good kid. He goes, what? I go, give me the knife. And the officer's like, what? Knife? I go, yeah, give me the knife. God desires mercy, not judgment. So I know about like, those are just, I, those are examples of courage. But let me tell you as a father, if you got a ch child out there, we got, if we're going to save our young people as fathers, we got to dig down deep here. You see, because let me tell you something about all these other, all these other communities out there that we don't agree with which I don't agree. You know, you're talking about the transgender communities. You're talking about the same-sex marriage communities. You're talking about the Black Lives Matter communities. Now, look, I'm like so, and you can say whatever, I'm like so far against any of that. It's ridiculous. So we. So we. <laughs> so far against. Like you wouldn't believe, like you guys. But let me tell you something about these people. And this is what's challenged me. They'll go down and they might do it out of uh, victimization, or, or we could judge why they do it, but that's not what I want to talk about. If we're going to get our kids back to the Roman Catholic faith, if we're going to get our kids back to the truth of gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to go to that cross. Yeah, your dad, if you're, if you're listening right now and your dad never said he loved you, and you said, oh, it's no big deal, you're lying. You need to tell your son that that you wanted him to say, I love you. Like, that's being courageous, telling him, I wanted my dad to say he loved me since I was five. But, like, I never got that, son. And that's why I tell you that all the time, because I'm I, I wanted that. That's what's going to win. Our, that's a cross. How about a cross this? You were abused or you were abandoned. Like, look in your son in the eyes. Look at other men in the eyes. Say, I've been there. And through Christ, he's resurrected me. Or maybe it's not as brash or bold as that. Being courageous is saying, look, look, son, like, it is lonely. It is lonely to live the gospel. But I need you in my life, and I want to go to breakfast with you once a week. And I know you might not need me, but right now, son, I need you in my life. Daughter, I need you. Could we go to breakfast? Maybe you can't do once a week. You're busy with your new job, but your own dad wants to be with you. See, this is what I'm training the culture. I'm going to use one story to help you understand this. I had a, a kid uh, who came to me, and he was cutting himself, and he looked like the passion of the Christ, like literally. Like when he showed me his cuts, I'm not joking. Like if you watch the passion of the Christ, his legs look like that. So I said, you got to tell your parents. He said, no way. I can't tell my parents. So I go to the dad and I say, look, before he talks to you, I need to know, like, I'm going to have your son talk to you about something that's pretty tough. But, like, what have you been through? And this is what the dad says. He says, he goes, well, it's, I go through what my son goes through. He's suffering. It's the hardest thing in my life. How would you like to be that kid? The hardest thing in your life is to watch him suffer. That's not courage. That's being a pansy. No, no, no. I said, what's your suffering? 
And so he goes, oh, whatever. So I was speaking at a couple schools that day because that's how he paid for me to come in and hang out with his son. If you can get the story, I'm sharing as quick as I can. So I go speak in these schools and we have these things called challenge sheets where the kids at the school write down all their challenges. And I get back before the night, we're gonna have the meeting with the son and the mom and dad, right? And we're going through the challenge sheets and all of a sudden the wife's reading through them with me and the father. And she goes, you got to check out this challenge sheet. So the husband opens it and says, my uncle and my father are tearing the family apart. So Terry's, my buddy, the husband starts crying. He goes, idiot, because we had that kind of relationship, just talking like real. He goes, hey, idiot, read it. So I read it. And I go, oh, how do you know it's... The wife goes, that's my niece's handwriting. She was at the event. And the husband goes, yeah. He starts talking about how he's spent time with his family, how he doesn't, doesn't really know him anymore, how they had a company business and it all went down. He starts crying. I, I don't even go to Thanksgiving dinner. Do you know that? That son shared he had those wounds and he opened it up. The mother even almost threw up. My point is that in that moment, that dad was able to share, I have some things I need to change too. And he shared with his son, I'm going to change. I'm going to get it right with our family again. I'm going to love them the way they deserve to be loved. And you know what? I went to the wedding this year of the son and his wife. And it was one of the glorious days he's healed. His legs are white now because they're healed legs. But that dad was in tears of joy. He goes, I had to work hard to get my sons back. Guys, we got to work hard to be courageous with our children, our nephews, our nieces, our grandsons, our grandchildren. We got to share the wounds of Christ so we can heal them. That dad healed his son, not Justin Fatika. It was that dad. He shared and he did change. Did you know every single family member was at that wedding that he had a, a problem with? They all came. So to illustrate the point, to be courageous, we have to go to the places no one wants to go, and that's courage. And that's and that's what Catholic men are called to do. And God bless you and your ministry. Justin, that's what we're trying to do here. We always say, encourage other men in particular, all, all people, but men in particular. Don't give away your kids to this culture. Don't give away your kids to this, to this, uh, this godless culture that just seeks to destroy them. In other words, step up. And, and like you said, it's not a machismo thing. There's a thing about being just being a man, being a good example for your children. A lot of times, I know this sounds judgmental, but that is the main one. If you had to pick the top three problems with our country, uh, fecklessness on the part of fathers and fatherlessness, all right, is a major problem. God bless you for what you just said. Justin, in doing research for this interview, I came across this statement regarding your ministry. It says, sensitivity to sin and suffering. The person who sympathizes with pain is capable of touching lives 
depths and of bringing hope to the brokenhearted. Compassion connects those who are hurting with the redemptive meaning and value of suffering. You know, we could all look at people who go the wrong way, but ultimately there is a hurt behind it. You look at a child. I have four children under seven. My wife's expecting number five in October. Um, we're doing our best. <laughs> That's about all I could say. Joe, Joe doesn't sleep. Joe, Joe doesn't sleep. <laughs> It's the other stuff's more fun. <laughs> but my point is, everybody, when you see a young kid, we all have young, you know, when you you're young kid, they're perfect. You know, they're, 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 they're their own person, but they're perfect. Then life happens and people have hurts and I have lifelong friends and I've seen different things happen to them at points in their life, like a divorce, like this, like that. And then there was a change. I've seen the arc. I've seen them from when we were 12 playing little league baseball to now that we're 50. But what you do, I think, is is very effective because what you're doing is you're touching that pain point in people. And we all have to basically, that's what Christ did. That's what he did with the woman at the well. You know, that story is a great story because no one went to her because one, she had a bad reputation. Two, she was a woman and a man didn't go to a woman like in that type of setting. And she was there at noon, which means she was an outcast. That was done in the morning. But Christ went there and addressed her suffering. And in doing that, he changed her. And that's what you do. And that's what you're talking about. And I'm just saying this because this is what we all have to do. It's easy to compare ourselves with the drunk down the street who doesn't have their act together. That's easy. Compare yourself to Mother Teresa. Compare yourself to the Blessed Mother. We all fall short. We have to do what you're doing. Talk a little bit more about that because that's what you're doing with these young kids. You're talking to them in a way that others aren't. They're not addressing that pain point. And, and meeting them there, it changes them. Yeah, the next step, though, is like when you're in that moment, we've got to start building community in our homes that they have a safe place to go That because like a lot of these other places, like during the pandemic, these other places, they have chapters, they have structures, infrastructure, and they're bringing kids who are suffering into that. We have to take our kids into our own domestic church. So what's gonna help is we have to start praying with our family more. Like we pray twice a day, the rosary, and then we have morning prayer for my own family. Like 8.30 prayer, and then in the evening, a rosary. Like if I'm gonna impact somebody's life, so we have to create that for our culture. And why do I bring that up? Because it can't stop at that, like when they have that pain or they have that suffering, we have to take them to the joy of Christ. And what's the joy of Christ? It's through our prayer life. And we have to walk with these young people. So I, we have missionaries, right? So at our events, see, people were always like, what are you gonna do now? You've impacted all these kids, these adults. What do you do now? We have missionaries now that they basically walk with these kids and get them into community and care for them on the phone and on Zoom. And then also in their own community where we have chapters set up across the country. We now have eight chapters because when Black Lives Matter rolled out, I got really convicted. I got actually like, sick to my stomach that I wasn't doing anything for Jesus. I was speaking to millions of people. I had TV shows. I had this. 
But what am I doing for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm fam. So we create these things called Zion chapters. So when we have an event, you can build a chapter that meets every six weeks, six to eight weeks to connect them with fathers, with men, with people so that they can help them walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ or connect them with other people that walk. So we have to create that environment. And that's what we're striving to do. And lastly, what we can do, those listening right now, if you're listening right now, like what can you do just in a moment? I sincerely, I already said it, but I'm going to say it again. I want you to take the jerkiest kid you know, the nephew, the niece, the, the, the most lonely kid maybe, not a jerk, but a kid just lonely, struggling. And I dare you to write them a letter about the pain and suffering you felt. I'll never forget, my grandma's 102. She's my best friend. She's the only person that can talk more than me. I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> you can't get stop. I mean, you get on the fly, I average two hours and eight minutes every time I'm talking to her. My wife's like, who are you talking to? I pick up my phone, your grandmother, of course. My grandmother told me how she took care of her, her cousin who killed herself and how, how lonely that was that she couldn't help her. My grandmother told me that when she was 100 years old. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that she told me about one of my, my family members who was abusing one of the other family members and how she had to call him out and how then he ended up hating her for it. Like, we have to get on paper. We have to be take our life story and give it to our children and our children's children. If you're a grandparent out there, you're a parent out there, you're, you're a, a great grandparent. If you're, you, I ask you after this interview to write down a story of your life, of the pain and suffering, and how you saw goodness in it. If you did that for your grandchildren, your, your great nieces, your nephews, your, your nephews, your nieces, your kids, I promise you, they will hold on to that letter as they hold on to the word of God itself and will give them life. So that, that's what I got for you. I think it's important to note because, because one thing that we try to emphasize is the idea of planting seeds. I, I take your, your story about, you know, writing that letter. We, 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 I know for myself, I got to get through my head and, and I have gotten through my head, even though in Italian we say, you know, gabados, I'm very gabados. But the idea that not going to, first of all, none of us convert anybody. The Holy Spirit is the, is the one who converts. But what we have to do, like you're saying with the letters, is plant seeds. You're not going to, you're not, somebody's not going to convert like that because you happen to come up with a few Bible verses and stuff like that. Plant seeds, as you said. People are going to stray. We're, the reason why the prodigal son is such a popular parable is because we all identify with the son, okay? Um, and so, but what we have to do is remember, but we got to plant those seeds is my point. Whether it's read through a, a letter, uh, um, uh, understanding somebody's pain and suffering, having a great conversation, being authentic, all the things we're talking about there. Plant those seeds. The Holy Spirit We'll, we'll help them germinate. You know, Justin, like hearing these stories, what, what I kind of get from it, and this is what I think makes your ministry very unique. Um, you love all people no matter what they've been through. You see, there's a lot of people doing similar things out there. And, 
you know, I always say, and actually Pope Francis said it, but I think it's very, very on point. He says, the church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. We're all sinners. And we're never going to find that perfect person or that perfect church or that perfect thing. God meets us where we are and not enough people are reaching out to people. You know, like, like, Actually, Father Glenn Sedano, who we're both close with, he's a CFR. I know you probably, you know him. He said, basically, he when he was in the Bronx, there was this Irish girl that used to come to the door, and she was a mess. She was a drug addict, and he would always help her. And what he would see when she came to the door was he assumed she was Catholic because, you know, most Irish, you know, people in New York are Catholic. He would see her in her communion dress. And then something went wrong. We have to look at people that way. I don't enough. I don't enough. I think the closer we get to God, you mentioned about praying, getting up in the morning. I do the same. I read the Magnificat. We pray the family rosary. I try to get to adoration once a week. I have to get that veil out of my face. I have to see people how God sees them. Because when you do, you tap into that greatness that's in every person. Every person is great because God made them. But we have to make them feel that way. Talk about that because that's what you do. Yeah, it's going back to that that gift. And I, I don't want anybody to miss this. Like what I said, because people want to miss it because it's hard to hear. We have to be okay with rejection and persecution. That is the window to God's heart. The reason he said in, uh, uh, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit because there's the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. There's the kingdom of heaven. All the other Beatitudes are about earthly things. You know, blessed are those who are meek and humble heart. They will inherit the land. They don't get he- that's Heaven isn't for just for the humble. It's for those who are poor in spirit and rejected. I bring this up for this mere fact. This gift our apostolate brings, not me, Jesus, through the gift of our community. And when I say it, because I, I can screw it up in seconds, trust me. The gift is sensitivity to sin and suffering. The way we're going to reach people and not be afraid is to say that your sen- the things that you were sensitive about, the suffering that you went through, the persecution you went through, the rejection that you faced is a gift is a gift from God. Once you can surrender to that, just, I, I did a homeless barbecue this weekend, right? I love it. And we, so what we do is we don't like, they're like, oh, you could die because they, you know, we're not going to oversee it. I guess the whole point, you know, <laughs> like, we don't want to meet them in a place where we're inside and it's controlled. We want to meet them where they're at. So they come to the homeless barbecue, and this guy, I'm like, come get a hot dog. We got chips. He starts swearing at me, right? I'm talking like, you wouldn't believe. And all of a sudden, I look at him. I go, you're amazing. You're a gift. You mean the world to me. So he goes and gets his hot dog, right? He turns around. He looks. He goes, my name's Moses. And he goes, I don't live by my name. He goes, I want to apologize to you because I judged you right away. And he started talking about, I grew up in Harlem and what he went through. And he's in Syracuse, New York right now in the struggle. And he said, man, I, I have no faith in God. But when I look in your eyes, I see God. 
And I looked at him. This is what I said. I'm not telling you this because it's a great story about me. I'm telling you this. I said, do you know the only reason that I did what I did there? Because I've sinned. Because I've suffered. Because I've been rejected. Because I've been persecuted. And then he starts going, me too. And he started listing all the things, right? And I was still, we were like best friends. He wanted to go to lunch with me. But my point is, we second guess what Christ has saved us from, and we go to shame and guilt. We don't look at them as gifts. And when our church can do that, that's when we're going to be converted, and that's when we can convert others through the power and gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it's all about. I mean, that's what it's all about. I think sometimes, like, sometimes these communities, we get into this, like, we're perfect, and you're out. God didn't do that. God didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? And and we have to, I have to, I say this because I do it and I have yeah. to be more aware of it. But I think that's the scales over our eyes. We don't see as Christ sees. He reaches for the one sheep that left. He leaves the 99. And this is something the church has to be more sensitive to because love does change people. I mean, I've worked with the missionaries of charity. I've seen how they change people with love. Absolutely. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, way in the breach with Justin Fatika, the founder of Hard as Nails Ministries. Justin, we have a few minutes left. And, man, I just know meeting you for the first time here that we probably could go on for about five hours. Unfortunately, it's radio and we have a time constraint, but we have a few minutes, uh, about maybe six minutes or so. Talk to us about what, in your opinion, is the um, is the biggest issue in our culture facing uh, facing young people. What are what are you seeing on your on your battlefront in the culture where what are you seeing uh, as uh, some of the biggest obstacles to uh, to our youth and conversion of the youth? So I coach A in my spare time, I coach a nationally ranked AAU basketball team. And I I meet these kids where they're at. It's a part of the mission field. My son's on it as well. And these kids need men in their lives. If you're a man and you're on this show right now and you're listening, let me tell you, you better start praying right now. How are you going to care for our young people? God is calling men to step up. Two by two, of course, as Jesus did. We need to model the way Jesus did it. We don't do any ministry without going two by two. You have nothing to fear if you go two by two. You have a witness there. You have somebody to process what you're experiencing. Two by two, you need to take your brother, wherever you are, your brother in the Lord. We need men right now to walk with these, these young men who are in need. That's number one. We, we have to get that. That's why... If, if you want to learn how to do that, start a Zion chapter. Like, it's a refreshment. It's a refuge. And it's a remnant for the church. They meet six to eight weeks, and we train and we form men and women, of course, to be able to care and walk with young adults specifically so we can raise them up in the church. So that's number one. Number two, lastly, what can we do for our young people? We got to get rejected, man. They got to see that we're willing to die for our Catholic faith, for Jesus Christ. Amen, brother. Amen. When my I die, when my son sees me get mocked and ripped on, and I don't treat any of them wrongly, do you think my son mocks me? No, my son wants to be by my side, say, Dad, I'm with you. Like, well, if we get rejected for what is good and noble, 
as 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, let your love for another be intense because love covers a multitude of sins. You're a sin out there. We got to get loving. And you know what? Lastly, recipe for success in evangelization. Daniel Bugs played for the Washington Redskins, New York Giants. He gave it to me. I, I give him credit. He said this. We got to love the hell out of people. Literally, <laughs> figuratively. That's what we got to do. I love it. Love the, love the hell out of people. <laughs> well, you stole it from him. We're stealing it from you. <laughs> you talked about like the Zion groups. How else could young people belong to your movement? Um, you mentioned you have missionaries. You know, tell some folks out there how they can get in touch with you and potentially yeah. work with you. Go to AmazingNation.org. We have blogs every day that they can jump on. Uh, all online, you know, at your amazing HN, your amazing HN, or at Justin Fatika. You can follow that. But the, the best way to get involved is to get a mentor, like one of our missionaries, to mentor you just on the phone or on Zoom and get involved. Just call our office and we can set that up. Or be a missionary. Give up a year. I believe the wrong. I told Bishop Frank this and he agrees. We should be like the Mormons in America. Every kid who says they're Catholic should give up a year or two, whether it's with focus, whether it's with, you know, hard as nails, whether it's with some of the New York apostolate, the Salesians, they should give up a year or two and serve the Roman Catholic faith. So if you, if you, if you know any kid that's alive or breathing in the faith, send, her, send them our way. We're growing. Our missionary programs doubled in size the past year. Let's talk a little bit. We have a few minutes left about the Blessed Mother. You mentioned the rosary. We're big rosary guys. Um, oh, yeah. uh, you talk about like the five, like I, I saw in your ministry, you have a five tier faith development program. And the last is total consecration. Is that yep. to the Blessed Mother out of yep. curiosity? Yeah. Yep. Talk a little bit about how important that is, especially if you're a man to have a devotion to Mary. Justin, we have about two minutes just to give you a heads All right, up. Great, great. Thank you. So basically, closing out, Our Lady is the key to Jesus. Bottom line is, if you need Jesus' help, you got to talk to his mother. If you call my mother, you say, hey, could your son come and give a talk? If my mom calls me on the phone and says, hey, I have this guy who wants you to come give a talk, you think I'm going? That's my mother. Of course I'm going. I'm going to that town yesterday because my mother said so. Bottom line is you got to get tight with Our Lady. Because for me, I did my consecration in 2010 to close, and our ministry's never been the same. Our Lady went to Jesus for me, I believe that, and said, look, this guy's getting beat up left and right. Give him a break. If you need a break, you need a breather, go to Our Lady. She'll give you a breather. See, I love it. And, and the reason why I love it is this, you know, you have your ministry is not like super like orthodox in the sense that you walk. It's unconventional. I, I think that's a good word. Yes. That's a good word. But you are orthodox. You see, everything you talk about is orthodox. I love it because you are you. You know, like as uh, I have young kids, Kung Fu Panda, but I'm me. He always says, I'm me. Well, guess what? Be you. Justin, real quick, uh, in 30 seconds, uh, one more time for our audience at the front line with Joe and Joe. Where could they find your organization if they want to contribute or get involved? And where could they find you, any social media or anything like that? Yeah, Amazing Nation. Amazing Nation. Be a part of the AmazingNation.org. Or you can find us at Justin Fatika or at Your Amazing HN. Any social media? 
yeah, uh, any of those, you know, you go to Justin Batika or Your Amazing HN on any social media platform or YouTube, you can subscribe or be a part of it right now. Awesome. And uh, and thank you for that. We encourage everybody listening to us at the front line with Joe and Joe to support, get involved, do whatever you can, because Justin is doing amazing work. Justin Fatika, we want to thank you for being on the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be down uh, sure to download our Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course, which I'm sure they will in the future. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.